Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this week is, um, turns out to be a bit of a mixed week. You know, on one hand, really excited. This is the first sign that cars are on the track and that Formula One has started up and, and things are getting to normal and we might actually have a race season. And then there was some really sad news that has the entire paddock and a good portion of Formula One's fan base in shock right now. Well, is it in shock or just in mourning? In mourning is probably the best way. Um, So word came out on Friday, I believe it was, that, um, and unfortunately he's not a big household name in the U.S., but former F1 broadcaster Murray Walker passed away at the age of 97. Now, really known in the UK for all of the British broadcasts, um, hasn't been broadcasting actively in close to 10 years. However, almost any historic video of Formula One where there's English commentary, you've probably heard Murray's voice. No, that's not Murray, it's James Hunt. Well, well, that was for a very long time. Murray Walker w- was partnered with James Hunt over at the BBC. Um, Murray was known for, well, first off, he was a very passionate Formula One fan. Um, really loved it. But it turns out that Murray got started with motorcycles. Oh, I didn't know that. So actually growing up, his dad competed in motorcycles, won one of the TT championships, um, very successful. Um, World War II came around and it kind of cut short his father's career. They actually managed to leave Europe just before war was declared. They got a heads up that it was coming and fled whatever track they were at to return back to England to escape the declaration of war and getting stuck in the country. They get back to England <coughs> Murray joins the army, goes to Sandhurst, and becomes a tank commander. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, got out of the army and decided, you know, since he grew up in motorcycles, why don't I go and try this? And raced motorcycles for a few years, realized his heart wasn't in it. He really wasn't that great at it. And ultimately ended up in advertising. That seems so random. Ended up in advertising, but by the late 40s had also managed to get a gig with BBC Radio commentating on races. Oh, okay. And it just steamrolled from there. Murray was very well known for, um, he was very passionate about the sport, very passionate about what he did. Um, And sometimes his passion got ahead of him and his excitement got ahead of him. Um, so he had this to say about it. I don't make mistakes. I make prophecies that immediately turn out to be wrong. And he's right. And I should point out, Murray is really F1's answer to Yogi Berra. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Um, they are called Murrayisms. Yes. Um, they, they're so common in his broadcast because he would get wrapped up in the action and Mm -hmm. i think his mouth was moving faster than his brain necessarily was a a lot of times it was and he was very very excitable 
And of course, the unpredictable nature, or as Murray would say, anything can happen in Formula One, and it usually does. <laughs> but all of this would go on and it would trip him up. But fans loved him for it because you could feel the passion about it. He was loved in the pit lane, in the garage. All the drivers absolutely loved him. So Martin Brundle spent, after um, James Hunt had retired from commentating, um, Martin Brundle, when he retired from driving, he started off his commentating career in the booth next to Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some interesting moments of Martin very calmly and dispassionately correcting Murray. And and Martin paid tribute to Murray on Sky News this past week um, and was asked, you know, with all the Murrayisms and and all the the mistakes and, and misspeaks that he would make, you know, what was Murray really like? Is he was he the absent-minded professor that he seemed to be? And and actually, what Martin said was that it was the opposite. He was very passionate about Formula One. He loved it. He was incredibly knowledgeable. It was one of those things that he would just get that, and, and that's what it was. It was the excitement and the passion of what was going on. He said a lot of the first years that I was in the booth with Murray. I struggled to get it in a word in edgewise because he was that dedicated and that passionate to telling the story and describing what was going on and what he saw and how he's, he's like, I, I almost never had a chance to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you really think about it, I think the reason why Murray was so beloved was he was the fans fan. Mm-hmm. He was he was what you would be if you were stuck in that commentating booth. You'd be tripping over yourself. Well, you, actually, he's well he he's what you would be because you would do something like this. Barrichello is driving or about to drive in his fourth race for Ferrari. He's following the great Ayrton Senna, who never drove for Ferrari, and Rubens Barrichello is mighty proud of it. <laughs> Yeah, I would totally do that. <laughs> Actually, that is one of my absolute favorite Murrayisms. Oh, we've got more common. I, I I know. I you've been working on this for two solid days, so you know everybody just buckle up. But that's actually one of my favorite ones because I'm like, where is he going with that? <laughs> well, you know, the number of times that he would say something like, "David Cothard just passed David Cothard," and you're going, "Wait, what?" <laughs> 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 yeah it, or people that drove for different teams and yeah there would be tangents i mean it was just but it is it's it's what people were reacting to on the on their couches but in terms of how much he loved and was all about formula one one of the things that um martin had mentioned about him was that is busy and, and granted when Murray was commentating we were talking 14 15 races a season as opposed to 20 but as busy as Murray was because he would also comment commentate on um, the British touring cars as well and there's some great clips from that too um, but on off weekends it wasn't unusual for Murray to hop on his bike and ride down to like Donington where they were having Formula Ford or some other junior junior series going on to go meet the drivers and see and and f- see who were the potential up and comers into Formula One, mm. and to go chat with them and and learn about them and and hear about them, and 
you know, Martin had also mentioned that a couple of weeks ago he had called up Murray, and, and like we said, Murray's 97 at the time, and, and he passed at 97. He had been living in a nursing home with his wife, um, separate rooms because of the, the, the COVID situation and the various protocols, but um, Martin called him up and said, so Murray, how you doing? And Murray goes, well, to be honest with you, not too good. But I don't want to bore you with any of those details. Tell me, what's going on with Formula One? Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it, I know that this show is very much a tribute to Murray. And mm-hmm. we've got other news and we will sprinkle Murray throughout our show. Well, but oh, you have one more thing? Before, I do have one more thing. Because I have one more thing before we get off of Murray. So I'll that, let you. That, well, go, go ahead. ahead and do your one more thing because I'm. I want to remind everyone that it was two years ago that uh, Charlie Whiting unexpectedly died yeah. as we were going into Australia the last time we had a real Formula One season. So we've had some really rough marches lately. Yeah. If you think about it, 2019, we lost Charlie Whiting. 2020, we lost Australia. Uh, 2021, we've lost Murray Walker. Um Maybe we should start the season in a different month now. Could be. So before we had the familiar phrase to start a race of lights out and away we go, Murray was known for this. And this is how we'll start the rest of the show. One light, two lights, three lights, four lights, five lights, and it's go, 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 go. It's like a children's show. It, it is. <laughs> and and it, it, it's that passion that goes along and the excitement as that race kicks off. Well, I'm excited because we have all our lights on and we're getting ready for the season to begin. We are. And the cars are hitting the track and we're actually starting to see more than just press photos. Um, and one of the things that was pointed out to me is, and this caught me by surprise. So over at Haas, we saw the drivers in their race suits. Normally, drivers wear matching race suits. Do they not wear matching race suits at Haas now? No. The main sponsor on the front of his race suit is like the Moscow Polytechnic University. And that's not the one that's on mixed race suit. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, normally when... A driver has sponsorship that pays to actually get on a race suit. They pay to be on both the race suits. Well, not necessarily, but they hardly <clears throat> ever get to take over the front, front and center too of I mean, the race suit. I yeah. mean, if you look at, the, I think there's some different uh, sponsors on arms of race suits and possibly on the backs of race suits um, because there's been sponsors that are exclusively Lewis's, for example, or... Um, I think, except I think Lewis's is, is on both. I don't... I, I, I could be wrong, but I thought Lewis had... Lewis's sponsors were on both. And I don't know if I'm <clears throat> misremembering, but I thought that there was, like, some differences between, you know, like, minor differences. Yeah. But... If they're anything, it's going to be a minor difference. It's not right here. <laughs> yeah. So now that we're starting to see some of the cars on track and, and, and how they really look, it turns out that the Alpine um, 
She's looking a little heavy up top. I have nothing to say to that because there's nothing I can say that's not going to be a problem. Well, even, you know, Marcin Budkowski has been saying that their car seems to be getting a bit of body shaming. (laughs) So the airbox in particular, um, it's really... and, And when I first heard that that alpine had this bulky airbox i was looking at that actual little inlet behind the driver and i'm like oh that doesn't look too bad and then i saw a wider shot and i went holy cow Mm -hmm. um (laughs) that whole area behind the driver's head is really fat it's not fat honey it's got genetic disposition to being large Okay. It can't help the way the designers made it. That's true. I'll give you that. So what Martin Budkowski says is that, or Marcin Budkowski says, is that this was a technical choice. They found that by slimming the side pods, it was a positive direction, which nothing new. They normally do that. But it, to do that, they repackaged and relocated some of the bulky things in the car and put them behind the air inlet. He says, it does give a spectacularly bulky shape. His words, not mine. <laughs> spectacularly bulky shape in the car. But it works for them. He said, there's some center of gravity compromises, but usually aero performance wins over weight and center of gravity. Interesting. Which, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear that because I would think that the weight distribution would have an impact on how the car handles. And if it makes it harder to for the you know, the drivers to keep it stable in a high-speed corner. That might actually be a problem. But what you don't know is, does weight distribution and center of gravity make actually make it harder to handle in high-speed corners if the aero is making it glue to the surface better because they've improved the aero to overcome the difference? I mean, that that's, I don't know. That's the, that would be the question I would have. Now, I mean, all joking aside... I have to tell you, I'm really excited about the fact that it's got a chubby gearbox. Because it's dramatically different? Because it's different. And it's the airbox, not the gearbox. I thought I said airbox. Airbox. I think I I think I've slurred it, but Okay. Anyway, um it's my it's my nod to Murray. Got it. There you go. (laughs) Um No, I'm excited about it because it's different. It's because we're trying something new. If it's this generation's version of a six-wheel Tyrrell, I'm all in and excited for it. Well, everybody's trying something new because the floors have been changed. So Mercedes, this was the first that we saw Mercedes redesigned floor. They did not share that with us in their press photos. Well, shocking. And by the way, um, we had the question in last week's show of where's the red star? Yes. The red star appears to be from the... It's definitely there. The picture I saw was really zoomed in. It looks like it's on the side of the airbox behind the driver's heads. And that's a... But the red star is there. That is a very good spot for Nikki's star. Mm -hmm. So he's looking over their shoulder. Exactly. As (laughs) as he did in life. (laughs) Um, but Mercedes has the new floor and this is all to, um, comply with the new aerodynamics regulations around the, the rear of the car, which cost the teams an estimated 10% of downforce. Okay. Um, 
it looks so this was the first that they ran this weekend and it it does not seem to be going too well for mercedes um what we know so first two days on the track were really really rough you know what we saw last year and i think the year before and even the year before that was that mercedes was typically the team putting down the most mileage in testing right fewest amount of problems fewest amount of handling issues and a lot of speed Mm -hmm. they've had a lot of handling issues Hmm. Um, and, and actually they had a mechanical issue. So the, the first session of the first day was lost because right after the installation lap, when Valtteri Bottas was out there, they had a gearbox failure. Changed the gearbox, got the car back out there for the afternoon session with Lewis. Lewis struggled with it quite a bit. And I believe at one point he spun out and... and he spun and ended up in the sand. I don't think he red flagged the session for day one afternoon, but day two morning, he spun and ended up red flagging the session. Mm. Um, it does sound like they started to get some speed back Thursday afternoon, or excuse me, Friday afternoon. No. Saturday afternoon? It was, it, testing was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Right, yeah. Day two of testing, that afternoon. Whenever that was. <laughs> this That's doing your testing, nod to this, Murray. Yeah, this doing testing thing over a weekend sucks. You know, I'm used to the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that all worked out. The, this Friday, Saturday, it's Sunday. It's hurting your brain, yeah, isn't it? It, it, it? You broke the pattern here. Okay. Um, it Word is that last day of testing, the Mercedes looked more stable. And look better. And, and one of the comments that I heard from one of the commentators, I think it was Corinne Chandock, who said, um, it's the first day that the Mercedes look like a Mercedes out there. Oh, wow. Um, they're certainly down on running. They're down on speed. Um, Mercedes has come out pretty much and, and said that um, they're not as quick as Red Bull. And Red Bull had... The most mileage. Mm-hmm. For the first two days, they had some of the fastest times. They didn't have them the last day. What Mercedes has acknowledged is that in the higher temperatures, they're certainly having problems with the, the car is difficult to handle. And in, the, in windy conditions, the car appears to be harder to handle. That's not particularly good. Yeah. They've always been very <clears throat> temperature sensitive. Mm-hmm. So one of the theories that has been flown out there, and I believe it was by Will Buxton, um, apparently Mercedes was the only team that did not do a run-in day, filming day, break-in day prior to testing. Mm. Theirs is scheduled after testing. And I know there's been rumors that maybe they're sandbagging, maybe they're playing and. You know, there, there was the year that, that we saw Mercedes struggled in testing. And actually, maybe it was last year that they struggled in testing and then they came back for race one and blew everybody out of the water. Exactly. Um, so there's some thought of maybe at the filming day, there's some new arrow coming that wasn't run during testing to keep folks on their toes. I don't know. Well, okay, but we've go through this every single year this this becomes the conversation about tires and <clears throat> engines that starts to bore me when i even go into it but the reality is you shouldn't judge the cars based on testing 
because you yeah. don't know what they're testing. For all we know, Mercedes is like, okay, we know what the car can do. And they're putting on new bits to try to see if it's, mm-hmm. if they can hone in something and they were trying something. I mean, they could have been doing four different, what we would call free practice one, where they try a different wing that yeah. they had no intention of running. What was the year that somebody ran something that wasn't even legal in testing? Williams and Red Bull both did that and, and got letters for it. Yeah. Um, but what we don't know is we don't know what the fuel loads were. Don't know that. Some were carrying some of these race simulations. It's believed that some were carrying significantly more fuel than they normally would. There were different tires coming out at different times as well. But they are saying that looking at the date, well, obviously what we do know, the Red Bull had reliability yes. in places that they have not had it before. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. I mean, the truth is you don't get points for testing. Mm-hmm. We don't know. You don't know what they're testing, what they're not testing. And honestly, you can never discount a Mercedes sandbag. Yeah. You you just can't. Now, not that I think Mercedes would necessarily throw away time in the car. That's not their that's not their typical sandbag move. But what I honestly would think is, and I get I'm very pro Mercedes, so I'm gonna tend to think about <laughs> what Mercedes is doing. But what I think is likely is that they were testing some things that were riskier. They're gonna go back to the factory. Their boffins are smart. They're going to pop off the things that didn't work, put back on things that did work. They're going to go to the the filming day and go, boom, there it is. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the thought here is, is what we may see. Now, we won't know at that point because none of those times are, are, are disclosed. Exactly. So then when we see them come back in Bahrain, <coughs> we will see Lewis standing on the top step again. I don't know. Maybe. So let's check in with Murray again. Michael Schumacher, as I expected, is extending his lead over Michael Schumacher. This race is going to be a commentator's nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Schumacher is extending his lead over Michael Schumacher. This is going to be a commentator's nightmare. (laughs) Is that because all of the drivers are named Michael Schumacher? (laughs) I don't know. So, you know, one of the things that, that used to drive really trip Murray up was when Michael Schumacher and Ralph Schumacher were driving. Oh. That used to trip him up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that that was not something that Murray's brain was wrapping around fast enough. So also struggling a little bit. And and unfortunately, we this, this is a team that, that we kind of did want to know what was happening with. Um... Aston Martin. Oh. Um, Vettel says that he was probably about 100 laps short of where they wanted to be uh, for both of them. Um, The only team that ran fewer laps than Aston Martin was Mercedes. Oh, wow. Now, there's been a lot of talk about how this is not son of pink Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not even the green Mercedes, although apparently it was designed by Andrew Green. Oh. It was not the green Mercedes. They didn't base <laughs> their design entirely on 3D imaging of the 2019 Mercedes? Not fully. Um, we do know there's a couple of bits. I, I want to say it's 
um, the front wing and like the rear diffuser or something like that. There are, and these were not parts that they, they couldn't carry over. Um, but for the most part, this is supposed to be a not copied design. Okay. But yeah, they had the same problem. Day two was when their gearbox issue hit. Oh. Well, so there is a theory that there is something up with the Mercedes gearbox itself. Well, there's got to be if we're we're having these failures. Now, hopefully they'll sort it out. We'll see. I don't know. Mercedes Buffins are smart. Yeah. Um, so, as you'll recall, if you go to Bahrain to attend testing and the race, the local health officials are offering up uh, COVID vaccination. And this is because Bahrain is not 90%. 9%. Nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> nine. Well, actually, now it's probably more than nine. It was nine. It's not anymore. The decimal point matters. It did. Okay. Um, so F1 itself, leadership at F1 said, you know, um, it's great that they're doing this, but um, this could look like F1 is jumping the queue and ahead of the folks in their own countries, and we don't think that that's right. We will wait our turn, and we will, we will you know, follow the rules and follow the lines and all of that stuff. Um, so first off, we got word that Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz said, um, hey, if you're doing shots, we'll take them. Come on, yeah. Yeah, let's do this. Um, but now apparently, according to uh, Franz Toast, the entire Alpha AlphaTore F1 team said, yep, we're doing it. <laughs> here, let's go. Right here. <laughs> we're, we are going to stay back after uh, the race an extra three days to make sure that we've got the appropriate separation to make it happen, but the whole team, we're done. Hey. I mean, Bahrain <clears throat> offered. Yeah. And you, I, I can't fault them. I really can't fault them for it. I, I get the, the optics of jumping the line, but I can't fault them, especially given the fact that they are in so many countries and the potential for them to carry it mm-hmm. is high. And, you know... If everyone in Formula One can get the vaccine early enough, it reduces the chance of these races be of more races getting canceled. I expect that, you know, vaccinated or not, Monaco could still be at risk. Any street race is going to be at risk, Mm -hmm. whether F1 is vaccinated or not. But anything that, that can be held at a traditional track, if the entire Formula One paddock is vaccinated, you know, the risk goes down drastically. Well, you know, the other risk pick drops drastically. Nico Hulkenberg having to drive a race because somebody tested positive. Well, yeah, there's that too. Um, <laughs> I mean, how many teams did Nico Hulkenberg drive for last year? Um, Just the one. No, huh. he did two. He did two. I think he did two, didn't he? No, he just drove for, uh, for a racing point. Oh, twice though. Yeah. We thought that there might be a possibility he could drive for Red Bull, but they didn't pick him up. Got it. So let's check in with Murray again. Okay. And Lacey is the man who is closest to the man in front of him at the present moment. (laughs) The closest to the man who is in front of him at the present moment. (laughs) So while we're talking about COVID, uh, word came out that Frederick Vasseur boss of the Alfa Romeo team 
tested positive uh, in preparation to depart France to attend testing. Uh, so he's gone into quarantine. Now, the good news is that um, he's a asymptomatic and a follow-on test like three days later came back negative. Oh, okay. But per the French protocol, he stayed in quarantine and did not leave France to attend testing. So, I mean, good news there, but, you know. Um, talking about reserve drivers. Last year, McLaren and Mercedes shared reserve drivers in theory. They didn't use them, but they they shared them. Well, they they, they grabbed George, mm-hmm. which okay, that was that was fair. Technically, George is not one of their reserve drivers, right? <laughs> so actually, the reserve drivers from Mercedes, as we mentioned, were Stoffel Van Dorn, but also Nick DeVries, who's a, a junior. Actually, he was originally in. I think it was uh, the McLaren. Yeah, he was a McLaren junior driver, and they let him go. Oh my! <laughs> but and as you recall. Stoffel didn't get the call because he had a Formula E race. Right. So he was unavailable. I don't know what the deal was with why they, they didn't call the other junior, but they went with George instead. Yeah. Um, but McLaren, if they need a driver, they can they will pull from the same pool. Perhaps. Just not George. Not George. George is off limits. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, Mercedes will pull George and Stoffel, if he's not got a conflict, will drive for McLaren. Yeah. I'd love to see the flying waffle come back. It, it would be cool. Um, he, he needs to... We, we did not get to see as much as we should have of him in his performance. Exactly. So. Lap 28 out of 56, which, unless I'm very much mistaken, is half the distance. And yes, I am very much mistaken. Twice 26 is not 58. We are not quite at the halfway point of the race. Well, we are now, actually. <laughs> okay, that is my second favorite Mariaism. I feel like I'm on countdown. <clears throat> yeah, well, it, it, it kind of is. Um, so, Fernando Alonso, he made it to testing. He drove okay. Did his jaw impact his drive in any way, shape, or form? It does not sound like it did. Um, He was giving press briefings and media time and all of that stuff. By the way, speaking of briefings and all of that stuff, um, this was the first time, going into testing was the first time in a year that the driver briefings were held in person. That's awesome. With all the drivers in the same, they'd been doing it through Zoom before. That is so awesome. I'm. It, it's it, these it, it little cool. things that are starting to feel like we might get back to normal. Yeah. Um. So Fernando isn't done with all of the things that need to happen as a result of his bicycle accident. So apparently he has two titanium plates in his jaw. Ouch. Um. They don't affect his driving. They apparently don't affect his speaking but at some point they need to come out they're going to come out after the season is over okay um but yeah he's not fully there but he says it's not impacting his driving it's not impacting everything else. He, he's good okay it's, it, it, it's good um sprint races seem to be moving forward now actually i should say um, testing of sprint races. I was going to... That's this where... This is not I, a permanent thing. That's where the inhale of breath <clears throat> that was 
preceded yeah. me to start to talk was going to correct you because I was actually going to say that as much as I dislike the concept, I am actually happy to hear that F1 is doing something that they haven't done since we've watched F1, which is test an idea. That's true, because when they changed qualifying that nobody wanted, they said, this is what we're doing. Exactly. Not that it was a test and then went, oh, crap, this is really bad. And then we had to do it again. And then we decided we could not do it again. So I actually have to, I'm going to say that I believe that they learned from the change in qualifying that should have never happened and said, hey, we probably should give this a test drive and see if it works as well as we think it would on paper. And for a sport that's built around testing, this is a new concept for them. It it is. So we still don't have a lot of detail. Well, we have no detail on what they're looking to do other than um, Stefano Domenicali said that they were considering the British Grand Prix might host a sprint race. Um, They've also said they're considering maybe either Canada, Italy, or Brazil. I would think Canada and Italy would be more likely than Brazil because honestly, I'm not convinced that Brazil is going to happen this year. I think that's reasonable. Um, Of all the other races, I think they could probably pull off. I'm not convinced that Brazil would happen. So if they want to have three races, I'm, I'm thinking England, Canada, and Italy, which would mean the first one that we would see would be Canada. Okay. Because Canada comes before Great Britain on the calendar. And in the alphabet. That too. And it's really big. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the teams are positive, but the general feedback right here is that they want to make sure it's not something that will artificially change the, the, the pecking order of the grid. Mm-hmm. So, and, and they're making it very clear. They don't want it to diminish the Sunday event either. Well, again, give them props for testing it. And when it doesn't work, I get to say I told you so. That's fine. So we have another update from, from Murray. Turns into the chicane. Right, left, right. Now look at the conflagration at the back, which is about to happen. You can't see it. Hey, it's a podcast. Of course you can't see it. How long did you work on that punchline? <laughs> okay, that's not one of his better ones. Okay, fine. Um, Mostly because so, you only put it in there for your own little rim shot. Well, yeah, maybe kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, in an effort, and, and you know, it's it's amazing. This, this is one of those things that this idea was so simple that they just kind of now thought of it. Although China did think about it. They were... So Formula One has realized that, you know, it's really expensive to go to races. Well, that was by design with Bernie. It was. And and some of their justification is that, you know, unlike, say, a football match where you're only paying for about four hours of entertainment and then it's done, typically Formula One tickets are like three days. Mm-hmm. It's for the full weekend. and it's so. It, but it's expensive. And that's a barrier to entry. And it's a barrier to people attending. So they're going to look to work with promoters to make more discounted tickets and free tickets available so that more people can actually come to the race. They've also acknowledged that, you know, it's not helping that all of our video is now behind a paywall of some sort. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the F1 app, whether it's, you know, 
a, a cable TV or a subscription TV package or something like that, there's very little free-to-air Formula One anymore. And that might be having an impact. Exactly. And that might not be the thing that you wanted to do in the year of COVID when people, A, have the time. Yeah. And B, don't have the disposable income because they have, you know, there's there's questions about the income. Poor timing for all of F1 to go behind a paywall. Yeah. But we'll see if this really pans out and, and how they make this happen. Because, you know, I mentioned China because the first couple of years that China happened, they were the races were so poorly attended that they would just go and take buses and load them up and drive them to the circuit and go, here, watch a race. <laughs> Fill the stands. Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't think that we should, you know, do things just because China did them first. Um, well, that's, that shouldn't be the motivation here to make this happen. But the idea of we need to get more people in and the price is a barrier and you can get more, not everybody who wears a Rolex, um, likes Formula One and, or or who doesn't wear a Rolex. I was going to say the Folks who don't wear Rolexes like Formula One and you have to let them in. Right. And I mean, I think it would be interesting to see how they target these free and discounted tickets. <clears throat> you know, where where do they go after them? Because your target should be your th- turning to lifelong fans. Mm-hmm. Where your uh, lifetime value for that person, because you have a lot of years ahead of them, so do they go to school groups? Do they go to engineering clubs? Do they go to... Exactly. That, that was one of the things I was going to say is this is one of those ways you look at targeting your youth engineering to, to grow into motorsports careers and not just the lifelong fans of this is an autosport fan, but there's a lot of different ways they could take that. And people are fans of Formula One for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um so in my monthly chit-chat with Stefano, I'll mention to him that one of the targets for this free and discounted ticket program should actually be girls. Engineering, girls that are into engineering and the sure. STEM programs. Okay, I'm good with that. Well, I'm glad you approve. <laughs> um, I wasn't actually asking your permission. Okay. But um, I just, you know, I'll mention it in my, my one-on-one with Stefano. Okay. Hey, I'm hearing that Murray has a special guest. Um. Okay. I'm a little concerned because his his you know longtime commentating partner was James Hunt, who is also passed, and so I'm assuming they are in the commentary box in the sky together now. No, Murray has a special guest. He is about to go and talk to Bernie Eccleston. Uh oh. It's some 17 years since you bought McLaren. You've had some good times and you've had some bad times. What do you remember best? I don't remember by McLaren. So, um, <laughs> Bernie never owned McLaren? Is that what you're saying? No, he, he, he never owned McLaren. All right. <laughs> um, in other broadcasting and availability news, um, F1 has announced that they are going to have their first HDR TV broadcast test this year. Oh, wow. So high dynamic range. It doesn't sound like this is quite 8K video. Okay. Um, but it is more deeper color and richer color. Um, the, their head of broadcasting says that they see this as 
um, the next step in broadcast, and that's why they're going and taking a look at it. Now, I will caution everyone not to read too much into this yet. The reason for that is because F1 does things like this all the time, and they don't necessarily adopt them. Mm. So it was, I want to say it was 2013 or 2014 when F1 was testing broadcasting in 3D. Right. And there was a lot of talk about, well, you know, somewhere like Spa, you really don't get the impression, or, or even Austin, the impression of how much that grade changes in a normal T, uh, TV broadcast. Even in HD, you don't get that. And the three-dimensional broadcast of it really makes that evident. That was the last it ever happened. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they're going and taking a look at it. This doesn't mean that it's coming. And actually, I was a lot more excited. As much as I don't like 3D television, um, and it fairly died, um, I was kind of excited. I thought that would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it didn't happen. Okay. Well, we'll see what they do with this. Again, I mean, another prop to testing something. Yeah. So, another update. Murray's got another update. This just in? Yep. Into the pit lane comes Andre de Cesaris, the man who's won more Grand Prix than anybody else in the history of Grand Prix racing without actually winning one of them. (laughs) Win more Grand Prix in the history of Grand Prix racing without actually winning one of them. Please explain. I, I, I don't know where he got that one from. Okay. I, 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 yeah, no, I, I can't. Okay. <laughs> so while we're on broadcasting, um, there was word came out in, actually it was in December, in, in the Financial Times that, uh, F1 was in advanced talks with Amazon over a streaming deal of some sort, mm-hmm. which of course sent all kinds of folks wondering because you know we've got the Netflix deal and we've got everything going on with that around Drive to Survive and, and that access. The F1 TV app is not great, but it's working. And and honestly, that was kind of the hope is maybe the F1 TV app will go away. Mm-hmm. So I did hear that this year, finally, F1 has turned on um, uh, casting from within the app. Oh, good. You know, they're only, what, eight years late with that? Well, since they only turned on F1 TV two years ago. No, F1 TV has been around for a lot longer than that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Three, four, three, four years easily, okay. if not longer. Um, cause we, we've looked at it before. Okay. Um, but it was limited in the app as much as, yes, you get all that video. You could only watch it in the app or you could watch it on a PC. Right. Um, finally they have turned on casting to things like Apple AirPlay to Google play, Google devices and, uh, fire sticks. Um, what they still have not done, which is, and, and, they continue to say, well, it's in development, is they have not released native apps for those TV platforms. Oh, my word. And I don't know why they can't figure it out. Every other series has figured it out, but they can't. Or won't. 
Yeah, and and I I don't understand why because that would have a big impact on the pickup here. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but what uh, the director of media rights Ian Holmes says is that this is regular contact. We normally go and talk to them about you know trying to sell streaming rights, trying to sell the series to them. Um, it may not, and and he's being very cagey on the details. What it sounds like is that this may not be in relation to uh, countries that already have access to the F1 TV app. This may be for other content through um, what they call over-the-top channels within AWS or within Amazon um, to extend the streaming footprint. Maybe what's going on here. We don't know. Okay. So... I got nothing to add to that. Does Murray? He does not. And and actually, um, I, I think at this point... Um, Are we going to have Murray send our show off the air today? Yeah, I, th- I think we're... Well, we're, we're at a point where we really are at a loss for words. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, turn it over to Murray to wrap things up. This is something that many people didn't think of. second on the grid he passed Jack Villeneuve he took the lead he stayed there and Damon Hill exits the chicane and wins the Japanese Grand Prix and I've got to stop because I've got a lump in my throat Michael Schumacher passes Damon Hill but too late Damon Hill wins in Japan I really am for once almost at a loss for words I'm, I'm so happy as the majority of Britain will be I must confess I have a very soft spot for Damon and it has been magnified as a result of his achievements here 